extend your hand towards Rebecca. She stepped up and said, Mom, I got this this week. And so I'm so thankful. I was on the schedule, so I just... Lord, I thank you that Rebecca hears your voice. And that you have stirred in her things that we need to hear. So I ask for you to open our hearts to hear them. And I ask you, Lord, to stir us in each in a place that we need stirring. And we cannot preach without your anointing. And so I ask for your powerful anointing to be on Rebecca. And that you would use her in a powerful way this morning. And we give you all the praise and we say we're hungry. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a good day in the house of the Lord. Come on, get a little bit more excited. It's a good day in the house of the Lord. I'm going to have Dave pass out a couple note cards to you. There's just a little piece of paper. And when I sit in church, I take notes. And sometimes when we... When I am doing youth group, I'll like share a word with them and then they'll come to church on Sunday and then I'll come back on the next Wednesday and say, hey, so what'd you get out of it? Last Wednesday or what was your takeaway? And they look at me like, uh, I don't remember anything. And I don't want you to walk away from today not remembering anything. So might it be that you just write down one piece of information? Might it be one thing that God just stirs in your heart that you would just put it on that paper, that, that you would be able to go through this week and remember what the Lord has done? Because sometimes we just need to be reminded. I know for me, I need to be reminded a lot of different things, and so we have lots of ways to be reminded, but might the Holy Spirit stir your heart this morning? So I want to ask you a question. What has been the best week of your life so far? Maybe it was the week you got married. Or maybe it, was a, maybe it was a honeymoon week. Maybe it was the week you graduated from college. You'd worked so hard and you finally got to that week. Maybe it was the week you had your first baby. I don't know, that week was pretty hard. I mean, it was great, but it was really hard. Maybe it was a Christmas week where all of your family came in. Maybe it was a vacation. Anybody had a great week of vacation? Where they're like, oh, that was epic. None of you? Y'all should go on vacation. Okay, so, yeah, they just got back. Come on, like, maybe it was the week that you got engaged. Maybe it was the week you took a trip. I don't know. What week was the best week of your life? Sometimes we have to look back. Maybe it wasn't last week. But regardless, there's been lots of weeks we've had that have been really good. Yes? So I want to talk to you because we are entering in the Holy Week this week, and today is Palm Sunday. And so this was one week of Jesus' life. He lived on the earth for 33 years or so. And so we get to encompass this week. We celebrate this week a lot. Lots of different pieces. We're going to celebrate Passover. We celebrate his death and resurrection this week. But it started out on, on a Sunday. Palm Sunday. But I want to tell you a little bit on the the front side of this week. Before Jesus hit Palm Sunday, which wasn't Palm Sunday then, it hadn't gotten to be called Palm Sunday yet, he had a lot of things that he was doing. How many of you guys did stuff last week? 
shopped, walked around, visited people, went to a funeral. There's lots of things that can happen in a week. And so as he was going the weeks before in the Bible, each gospel shares about Palm Sunday. So right before that, there's lots of different things that they say. So it's not necessarily 100% clear how it went exactly. But I found that he was in Jericho and he was walking through the town of Jericho. I kind of love the thought that Jericho came tumbling down with Joshua and someone rebuilt it. And yet the Savior stood in Jericho again and declared God's word and declared that he was good and that he could bring healing to a place that shouldn't have been rebuilt. And so I love that. And in that space, he healed um, Mark 10, 46. There's going to be scriptures up here just leading up. He walked into Jericho and as he was going through that place, he healed blind Bartimaeus. And so he was in that city. He was doing wonderful works in his life. And then you go to Luke 19, 1 and 2, and he walked through Jericho, and he was passing through. And guess who he saw in a sycamore tree? Good, I'm glad you're listening. (laughs) Zacchaeus, you know, there's a song about him. And he was up in that tree, and he went to his house as he was walking through that town of Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho... He was headed towards Jerusalem because we were, he was coming close to when all the people would head towards Jerusalem for the purification and for the Holy Week of just uh, Passover and things like that. And so from Jericho to Bethany, which is where he landed next, was about 15 or 16 miles. When's the last time you walked 15 or 16 miles straight? Some people want me to walk around the lake, and I'm like, yeah, no. And that's not even a hill going up. Going to Jericho was like an elevation grade up the whole way. So it was a good trek. You've got to think about him walking and and journeying with his disciples. And I don't know how long it took him to get to Bethany. But when he got to Bethany, um, in that space is when he raised Lazarus from the dead. And and that was a powerful, power-packed moment in his ministry. Because he had healed people, but bringing someone out of the grave for from four days, that's a big moment. Yes? I mean, I agree that that was just powerful. And so in that, there was lots of commotion in the city. He had raised Lazarus from the dead. The people were like, whoa, what just happened? They were, there were some that were seeking to kill Lazarus. There was people like wondering what, what, what is going on in the city, all the different things. And as he, as he was there, I believe that he was anointed while he was there also. But there's a lot of different like timelines in the Google search. So I'm not exactly sure how that happened, but I believe that he was. And when he was there, he was about two miles outside of Jerusalem. And so he was journeying there. And there was a big stir in the cities of what was going on. Even the people in John eleven fifty five through 56. If you turn in your Bibles there, it says, Now the Passover, Passover of the Jews was at hand. And many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. And they were looking for Jesus and saying to one another, as they stood in the temple... What do you think? That he'll come to the feast at all? Because there was lots of plots out for his death. So they were like, is he even going to show up? There was a lot of questions and wondering. Somewhat you can see the heart of the people. 
Like, there was a lot of, we like you, we don't like you. We want to kill you, we want, to, we want you to be the best of all the things. Like, you're the best of everything. And so, there was a lot of different mix of emotions. And so, as they were traveling those two miles into, towards Jerusalem, they landed in Bethany. And there was, I, I want to give you kind of a picture because the amount of people that was the influx was about 125,000 people. So just think about summer in Lake Geneva and how many people get in there. Like that's kind of what happens. Like you get this big influx of people, like the town got an influx of people. So it wasn't like two or three people were the crowd. There was a lot of people that were coming and there was a lot of people that were there. And so we come upon him coming now as he drew near to Jerusalem in Matthew 21, verse 1 through 4. And it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, when Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied up and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you say, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. And I was like, how many of you guys have heard that before, that, the, they, that Jesus sent the, to get the donkeys and bring them back? Yeah, there's a few of you. I just love it. I love that what was happening. And so I was looking and all the ideas of, of this donkey, him going and getting the donkeys, and why did he ride on a donkey? So I have a couple of things. Like, this was the very first declaration in public that he declared that he was the Lord. He was making a statement that before people would say, well, you're the Lord, and he's like, shh, shh, don't tell anyone. But this is him saying, hey, I am the Lord. That was the very first time through all the Gospels that he declared that. And that's a powerful thought for you to take hold of this morning. It also declares that he decided and he chose to do the will of God. When he said, I want you to go get the colts and I want you to bring them, he knew what he was doing. He knew that at that moment in time was the point of no return. He made a decision. This wasn't just like a happenstance. This wasn't just like, well, no, he walked into this deciding that he knew the week ahead. He knew what he was walking into because right before he got to that moment, he had prophesied to his disciples in Matthew 20, 17 through 19. And he told them, he's like, look, this was the third time. He's like, I'm going to go there. And when I get there, it says that I'm going to be delivered over to the Gentiles. And I'm going to be mocked. And I'm going to be flogged. And I'm going to be crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. He was telling them that that was going to happen. And yet they did not understand him. So he knew. I just want you to know the Savior that loves you knew what he was getting himself into. When he told the disciples to go get those donkeys, at that moment when he got on that donkey and started heading towards Jerusalem, he was fulfilling a prophecy in Zechariah that said your king would come riding on a colt. He knew he was going to bring salvation. He knew that the week ahead would be very hard. And he said yes. He chose to say yes. And he didn't walk away from that yes. Aren't you thankful? 
See, why he rode on a donkey was, and not a big stallion like people probably would have thought, was because that was a symbol of peace. He was declaring that he was coming in peace. And you know that all his life, he never got in a BMW. He never rode a Harley. He never got on a bicycle or a skateboard that I know of. I don't remember them having those back then. But this was the first time that it declares that he ever rode on a donkey. When he got on that donkey, he knew that prophecy. And I I think about all the times he walked and, and maybe he probably was like, man, I wish I could have gotten on a donkey. And he chose not to because he knew as soon as he did this, it would declare the beginning of his kingship in that space and that people would know that he's the Messiah, the one that comes. And so in Zechariah 9, 9, this is the prophecy. And you can see this fulfilled as we just declared Hosanna. Back in that day, that Sunday when it started, the people were, were greatly rejoicing. But the prophecy declares, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. It says, behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. See, the crowds were surrounding him in that moment. And you get to be the crowds today. And as he headed into Jerusalem, they were throwing their garments. And they were taking their palm branches. Anyone got one in their hand? Raise it up. They were taking their palm branches and they were giving honor to the king because he was worthy of their praise. And they were shouting, and each, um, each gospel declares that they shouted something different. So even though pastors did this this morning, I thought maybe as a people, because we want to see, I want to see your enthusiasm. And I don't have anything else on the stage. So you get to be my illustration today. And you get to declare really loud, because I think that we need to make an, a, a declaration this morning that's loud. In Matthew, it's a, in 21 verse 9, you, so you can pick one of these. You got to pick one, okay? The, cl- the, the crowds were shouting and they followed him. And, and, it, and one of the things they said was, Hosanna to the son of David. So if you want to pick that one, you can. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Or Hosanna in the highest, Okay? Just hold on to the one you want to say. In Mark eleven nine, they the he said he heard someone shout Hosanna, and another person shout, "Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord," and another one, "Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David," and another one shouted Hosanna in the highest. So you can pick one that Mark heard, or Luke maybe. He he heard, "Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord." Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And John, while he was listening and shouting, he heard, Hosanna! He said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So everyone picked one. Yes? Okay, everyone has to stand. In my house, for a a long season, I worked with my children on building their courage, so we jumped off of 
high cliffs and we took on big water slides and we did things that took us outside of our comfort zone. So this might be outside of your comfort zone this morning. But the king of all deserves your praise this morning. And in that, I want you to be able to hear the enthusiasm of the people. I want you to hear the crowds. But guess what? You could have been standing there that day. Would you have remained silent and let the rocks cry out? Or would your voice have been the one that John or Mark or Luke heard? And so I want you to shout. We're going to just all shout at the same time. And any of them, if you can't remember any of them, there are, well, there's some up there. But Hosanna is, means God save us. God save us, please. And so I want, we're gonna, I'm just going to say one, two, three, and we're going to go. You guys all ready? Awesome. One, two, three. There was such an expectancy among the people that it drowned out the sounds of all the naysayers, of the people saying, make them stop talking. Shut your disciples up. And he's like, no, if they stop talking, even the rocks would cry out. And that's how loud you guys did an amazing job because that's the loudness, the intensity the city heard. There was such a stir in the city because our king deserves more than that. He deserves praise continually. It says, let the praise of the Lord continually be on your lips. It should never be ending. And so as they were communicating, and as the crowd was communicating that, they were communicating an undeniable fact that this was the king of all. You may be seated. This was a day that I believe the people have, had been waiting for. They had heard the prophecies of old that he would come. I don't know, maybe you, there's a day that you, you've been waiting for. God to answer you or bring an answer or change a situation. Do you ever feel that longing? These people feel, felt that longing. They were waiting for the king of kings to come. They were waiting for a deliverer. They were waiting for a savior, a king to, to take over what was happening in their world. And to change everything. And so as the king was going in. There was expectation in the crowd. Longing in the crowd. And as he came into the temple, he entered it. And whether he cleansed it at that moment or not, it's up for debate. He did heal the people. And in Matthew 21, 17, and it says, After leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. And I think about the people that they were desiring to see something shift in the, in, in the framework of what was happening in the world. And he went in and he walked back out. So I want to pose a question to you this morning. What do you believe? How recently have you asked yourself that? What do I believe? 
At, those, at that moment, those people were looking and they believed that this king was going to come and deliver them. And they were looking for safety and they were looking for security. And unknowingly, probably to a lot of them, Jesus confronted what they believed. Because they thought he would overthrow Rome. They thought he would sit on the throne of David. They thought in that moment it would change everything. And Jesus did not meet their expectations. Might I ask you, if God hasn't met your expectations, might they be too small? He didn't come to triumph with the crowd. He came to triumph on the cross. He wanted to change everything, not just the momentary aches and pains of the world, but he wanted to be the deliverer of all. And in Colossians 2, verse 13 and through 15, I want to read this to you, and I, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. And it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcised of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by which he canceled the record of debt and stood against, that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing, by triumphing them over them in him. He did that because he loves you. He didn't answer their cries in that moment because he was answering something eternal. I think a lot of times in our lives we want a momentary answer when we serve a God that's eternal. And that wants to bring an eternal answer to your situation. He didn't want to just be peace for the moment, but he wanted to be the peace that you needed to have with God. He didn't just want to save them in that moment, but he wanted to be the savior of all. He didn't want to be just the king on the earth like every other king, but he wanted to reign eternally. So when he confronted their beliefs, they were hoping for something, but it looked a lot different than what they were hoping for. And I think about confronting, and sometimes that makes me think of like he's opposing you. Like, why do you believe that? Like, or me asking, what do you believe? And you could get defensive about it. Like, well, I know what I believe, you know? And I don't feel like that's what I'm posing the question to bring to you. It's more of the, the dictionary definition is to set face to face, to face with, to face it boldly or directly. See, he's wanting to take your belief system that you believe right now and take it to the next level. He's wanting to say, look, I know where you're at right now, but what about if we just move to the next level of what you believe? Because you believe I can save, but what if I can save the whole world? And that's where he's stretching us in our, in our belief systems and, and what we're doing. And even the next day, so he went out and he found himself with his disciples in Matthew 21, verses 20 through 22. And he was in Bethany, because that's where he went back to. And he was human just like you because he was hungry. And he saw this fig tree. And when the disciples saw it, 
See, he cursed the fig tree, and then it withered. And when the disciples saw it, they were marveled, saying, How did that fig tree wither at once? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask for in prayer, you will receive it if you have faith. He went from a withering fig tree faith to a mountain-moving faith. That was immediately his next thought. Like, let's go, guys. We're not going to just be marveling at a fig tree withering, but I want to take you to the next level of your faith, saying, look at the Mount of Olives. It's right there. You could say to it, be cast in the sea, and it would happen. So in his last week, He said a lot of things. Have you read it from the triumphal entry through just to see if you had your last week, what would you say? Have you thought about what you would say? Have you read it with that thought like, oh, Jesus knew I have, you know, so many more days with these people. What am I going to say to them? What, What exactly do they need to hear? That fig tree story was one of them. He also in John, John records in John 14, 12 through 14, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the father might be glorified in the son. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. He just jumped even greater And the degree that what Jesus did, he just offered you the position to do even greater things. Do you walk in that space? Do you say, oh, I believe that I can do greater things than Jesus did. He offered that to you. Through faith, just saying, hey, if I go to to the Father, then I got you covered. I can take you from this level of what you can believe to that level. And I was thinking about a picture of it. And so I was thinking about the disciples on the boat. And how many of you guys know, like, when Jesus and, um, it was probably like close to the original Passover with Moses, and they came out and he parted the Red Sea? How you guys know that story? Pretty crazy cool, huh? Millions of people walk through the sea. Dry ground. There was other, like, cool miracles Jesus did when he parted. Joshua parted the sea. Elisha came with his cloak after Elijah, Elijah went up and said, the God of, of Elisha threw the cloak on the water and it parted, right? So how many of you guys believe that you could part the waters? One? Two? Three? Four? Five? I got, I got the best person in the sound booth. Okay, so I'm, I, I think you all should believe that God could use you to part the waters. So raise your hand, because I'm going to stretch your faith. Believe that God can use you to part the waters. Do you need to go to Lake Geneva and try to part it? You can, I don't care, but make sure it goes back. Because I like going on my paddleboard out on Lake Geneva, and that would be weird if there was a road through it now. So don't do that, but... See, on the boat... And the disciples were sent after Jesus had fed the 5,000 people. And he, they send him on, and Jesus said, go on the boat and get out there. And they get into a storm. 
And in the midst of it, it was, it was hours in the night. And they were far enough, I believe I read that, he, that Jesus, when he walked on the water, he walked about three-fourths of a mile out to the boat. And in one of the, one of the Gospels, it says that he was just going to pass them by. And I was like, you were just going to leave them hanging? And then I realized that like, he already showed them previously on the boat when the storm's out there, you can speak to the storm and calm it and it'll be done. So I was like, oh, he already taught them how to handle what they were walking through. So he was like, I'll just pass them by. But then they're like, oh, there's a ghost out there. And, and he's out walking on the water. And then he calls. I mean, well, Peter's like, hey, can I join you? He's like, come on, Peter. And Peter walks on the water. Jesus declared to them and confronted their belief system that, yes, I'm the God that can split the sea. But did you know that I'm the God that can walk on the water? That I don't have to split it. You can just go right on the top of it. You don't have to have a motorboat to go right on the top of it. You can just walk straight on it. I can defy gravity. I can de- I, the earth is not contain, like, cont- like contingent or isn't, it, I'm not subject to the earth. This earth is subject to me. That you actually can have the faith to walk on water. Like he's leveling them up. Saying you don't have to stand on the edge and wait for it to part. But you could just walk across it and we'd be good. He's wanting to stir your faith. And so when he goes, oh you have little faith. I was thinking, oh he's just hurting them. Like that hurts. Like I'm, I'm out here. Like Peter's out there on the water. Like I'm not even out there. And I was like realizing, no, he's like, come on. Like I'm calling you. Don't you realize that like, there's so much more? There's so much more, body of believers. You haven't touched what God can do. If he said there's greater things than when, when I talk about walking on water, that's something behind us. What's in front of us? You've got to grab a hold of the faith that's, that God has given you and press it out and press it in and work it to the most of the ability that you have while you're on the earth. Come on. We have to start waking our spirit man up and saying, Spirit, you're living for me today. Because my flesh I crucified with Christ and I'm alive in Jesus and I'm going to see this world transformed because the presence of the living God lives in me. It's got to be personal. Who I keep listening to this new song and he says this statement, who am I to deny what the Lord can do? Who am I to deny what he can do? In your life, what do you believe? What do you believe that God can do? What are you believing for God to do personally in you? Make it personal this morning. Do you, are you defined what God can do by your resume? By how strong you are or how smart you are? Have you stretched your belief that he's given you the mind of Christ? That you can do exceedingly abundantly more than you think you can? Have you started stretching into that zone in your walk? How about for your children? That they'll be fruitful. That a a thousand generations of your children will be saved. That not one of them will be lost. That you are fruitful, that means your children will be fruitful. That you go after what you believe that God can do in your children. 
that there's nothing he can't do in them. And that you have the ability to speak over them and and declare over them and go after what God can do in their lives. And for me, it was interesting because probably back when I was like in college, because I know it's like in the college time. I remember like something happening like with my back. Like there was like things that would happen with my back and it would almost like it like tweak. And then I was like, oh, I can't sit like just so, you know. And I think I, for my memory's sake, so I think it happened every so often, um, that my dad called me or I asked you guys to pray or something. I don't remember. But he declared over me underneath the covenant that as he prayed over me that it was subject to what was happening in me because, because of who he was as my dad. Like there was something that God would do in that space. And my mind and heart went alive. Like, oh, he has an authority in me and in my world as my father. That God positioned him just like that. And then my grandma prayed and said she had had back pain. And she's like, God healed me so he can heal you. And it, that both of those times happened simultaneously in that same place. And I never had that issue ever again. Because I firmly believed what my dad had told me. That because he prayed over me in that space that I would, that, that it rendered my back to be healed. Like, I don't know. It just made sense to me what God was doing. So my back has been bothering me for like too long. And it's not the same. And I was thinking to myself like, oh, it's not the same. Like, it's not, because it doesn't hurt the same. It's different. So then... What he had done, does, it's like null and void because this is different back pain, even though it's back pain. I don't know. I was reasoning it out in my mind. And I was thinking about, why don't I just believe that that's the same? That God is healing my back or healed my back. Like, like I, grabbed, I should grab a hold of the fact that he is healer. Period. Regardless. And you have to grab a hold of the truth and apply it to your situation. To say, that, oh, this is who God is. There's no, like, I, I think it rings very loud in my, in my mind what Pastor Ruth preached. Is there not a cause? Like, are your children not a cause for you to say, I'm upping my belief system? I'm taking it to the next level. How about in your health? Like, is God not able? It says that when he knowingly went, he was indeed flogged and mocked and crucified. That means he took stripes on your back for your healing. He handled it. He handled it. Sandy, he handled it. He handled your healing. As he handled your, your salvation in that same moment, in the same likeness, he handled our healing. Why do we wage war and say, well, I don't know, maybe it's still, it, I don't go, oh, maybe he saved me, maybe he didn't. I don't feel that way. He saved me, and I'm saved, and I'm healed. It's all inclusive. When he paid the price, he did it all. That you might not just declare very strongly, I am healed. Take that devil. That was not in my notes, but. I am healed. I walk in divine health. 
I walk in divine health. Is there not a cause for you to be strong and mighty in your body and able to do exceedingly abundantly above what you could think or imagine in the world through Christ? Is that not a cause that you might be able to walk up the stairs, John, and not have an issue? Is that not a cause? Might there be someone in the second floor that needs Jesus? That's a cause. Craig Curry, your eyes are a cause. We need your eyesight. That's a cause. Might, that, might God heal your eyes? Because he healed blind Bartimaeus' eyes and he hadn't went to the cross yet. And at the cross, he took the stripes for you, Craig, because he didn't just want blind Bartimaeus healed. He didn't want all Lazarus, the only one, to be raised from the dead. When he went and rode on that colt all through the streets, was, and he decided it was because you sat in his vision. No, you sat in his vision. You have to get a hold of that. He didn't just amp- he didn't just do what was necessary in the moment. He did it for eternity. And when you need to be healed, and when you need him to show up and be your peace, and when you need him for this, he did it for you. Because he loves the mess out of you. He does. He loves the mess out of you. You're messy and you're up and down and you're all over the place, but he loves the mess out of you. In all your oddities and all your weird things and all this and all your imperfections, he loves you. He loves you. Do you hear that? You might need to tell your neighbor, he loves you. Because sometimes we have to be reminded of how much he actually loves us. He loves you. He loves you so much. The love of God changes everything. That's why when he knew all that would come in that week, he said, yes. What about for your marriage? God declared what, to, what God brought together, let no man to, to break apart. Don't deny what he could do in that space. If you're contending and fighting for your marriage, fight. Believe that God's word, he can do what he can do. Believe beyond measure that you could have a marriage walking out in complete surrender and love that you might represent the love of Christ to the world. What if your marriage was the marriage that was called to represent the love of Christ? How well do you represent that in your marriage? He's upping the game, not just to be like, oodly, goodly, we love each other, but representing the love of Christ. There's something he's calling you up to. Not just to say yes to, you know, we're just surviving. Our marriage, we're surviving. At least we're still surviving in this. No, he wants you to thrive in your marriages no matter how long you've been married. Would you come here? I'm kind of stepping out of the box, but I feel like there's a prophetic word over their marriage. Could you just pray and ask God to give them, ask God for a prophetic word? Um, Their son and daughter, they're right there in front of Keith and Jan. Would you just ask God? I feel like, would you just pray? Because I feel like God has a prophetic word over your marriage. And he's calling you out because he wants you to represent his love. 
And this isn't just whatever. This is something significant that he wants to do through your marriage. So God, we just ask that you would bless their marriage. That you would use it for the kingdom of heaven. That you would increase the love they have. That it would astound people as they encounter them. That that it would represent how much you love us. That you would cause it to grow and flourish and be healthy and whole. God, we're asking for more. Pour out on them even more. Do you have anything? I heard the word, today is a new day. That you're entering in a new day. But that it's actually a new journey. And I see God moving in the two of you, doing something actually huge. That he wants to use you. That even when you were babies, he saw you together. And he spoke over you. And he's called you to represent him in a place that most people never hear about God. And that he's going to take you to a new level in him, a new understanding. Actually, I believe there's going to be an encounter over you. That you're going to come into a, um, like, almost like his presence is going to invade your room and come upon you in a way you never experienced before. And you are going to understand his purposes for you. But he has great plans for you too. His hand is on you. And he's going to use you in a powerful way in the days to come. Anyone that agrees with that word, just say amen. Amen. What, What do you believe about the job that you work? I am what I am? Or you are who he says you are? Has he defined the works of your hands? Have you allowed him to establish his plan and thoughts in your job? That it's not just an ordinary job, but that God wants to meet you? I... I feel like this is for someone kind of stepping out and my spirit but like when Elisha was working with the uh, oxen and doing the job Elijah came and called him and called him into ministry and he left what he had and went and I feel like that's for somebody today that God is doing that that he's going to come to where you are and call you out of that place and call you into something different and to be ready to be ready for that how about in, in the earth? We all walk on the earth. We all live on the earth. Did you know he called you to have dominion in the earth? You know how powerful that is? To rule and reign in the earth? To be a mountain mover? That's dominion in the earth. To be a fig tree wither? That's even how you say it. I don't know. Maybe. No matter where you go, 
that you carry the dominion of God in you? That you could change the face of the earth? I don't know how many stories I've, I've heard of men in the Bible changing the earth. The sun stopped because they asked. The lions shut their mouths and didn't devour Daniel. There was time and time again. And you carry the power of of God in you. Maybe he's increasing that in you. That you might stand and position yourself and say, I do live in a place that I have dominion on this earth. You have to position the word in you. To be what it is. And not be conformed to anything less than the word. You're called to be victorious. In this one week. So much changed in one week. Like I said, Jesus knew what he entered into on Palm Sunday when he came riding on that donkey. He knew what he was walking into. The crowd stood and praised him, and within a week, they said, crucify him. Might your faith remain, Hosanna. Hosanna, King of kings and Lord of lords. See, this week that we're we're walking into that happened a long time ago was undoubtedly the most influential week and really the most personally significant week of your life. You didn't live that week, but because he lived that week and he died that week and he was resurrected that week, it is the greatest week that you have ever existed in. To date, because he's coming back. King Jesus is coming again. Isn't that so good? I mean, he's coming back because he is King of Kings and he is Lord of Lord and he is an internal answer for you. And I'm just so thankful that he's returning again. And I encourage you. Might this week you look at the scriptures from the, the entry where he was riding on the donkey and just read, well, what was the most important things that he shared with the people? Just seeing, what did he say? He actually told the, the people the greatest commandment in that week. He told them about his coming again. And you can see it. It's significantly played out in, in, in one or two or three of the Gospels. I don't know. But each, each one has a different account. And I encourage you that you would rejoice this week. What a significant week that we are in. In the world. And might Jesus come again soon. Yes. And the people said. Amen. Stand with me. Yeah, Hosanna.
I really believe that God wants to take you and your faith to the next level. So maybe it is a moment to pose a question to you and say, hey, what do I really believe? Because I want to go to the next level in what I believe. I want God to push me into, or not push, walk with me into places that I didn't even know were possible. But he says, oh, anything is possible if you ask in prayer. What is that anything that you're asking that he could do in your situation and in your world and in your life that you might stand and marvel at his goodness? God, we thank you. We thank you that you said yes and we choose to say yes time and time again. God, we want more of you. God, we want more of you than anything else. Might you move in our stories that your story could be represented through us. God, I ask that you would encourage us in our faith, that we might reach people for Jesus, that we might tell of your story this week, that you would stir opportunities, that you would give places to position our hearts to believe you to an ex- just such a greater degree. God, we love you. Would you tell him how much you love him? We love you so much. You're so worthy, God. If there's anybody that does not have a personal relationship with Jesus, this morning is an, a great opportunity to know him as Messiah and King and Savior, the lover of your soul, Father. I want to give you that opportunity. So as we close the service, there's, um, there'll be people up here to pray with you. If that's you, you can come up and, and be a part of that. But Pastor Mike's going to close the service. But if, if you want to take that opportunity, we want to give it to you to know Jesus. He's so good. He's so good and he loves you so much. Pastor Mike. Oh, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna to the King of Kings. Amen. Amen. Put your hand in your heart this morning. The Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you, lift up his countenance upon you, and give you peace in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Go in his grace today.